0: Have it. You're not the you are not too busy to talk this
1: way, so just sat back and I'm ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far the thought, thought away. Now let's hear what Darth
0: has to say. We would be honored if he would join us. Why'd you hear I'm still sick? I just can't kick this flu for some reason. What happened to getting the flu and it would last for, you know, three or four days, a week at most, and then it would be gone. This flu of nowadays, this stuff lasts forever. But together, we'll get through it as we continue with Chapter 5. Because there's a lot of stuff going on in this chapter. New characters and information to help us get a better idea of what's going on in this story. So, let's get to it.
1: It will be the great journey. Journeyers may walk or ride on beasts, or in mechanical vehicles, but it will be their first self-sustained adventure across Typhon's surface, visiting each temple to learn and refine the talents in the force. Typhon is a tumultuous place, and our new home still has countless hidden corners and depths unplumbed. Every journey will encounter different dangers. Many will find their travels treacherous and troubling, and there are inevitably some who will not survive. But to exist in smooth balance within the Force, one must first confront its sharp edges. Nordiagral, Gral, First Temple Master of Paduan Kesh 434 TYA, your Arrival. I like the sense of floating. For someone like me, it's freeing. Almost like there's nothing to me at all. I sometimes think I'm one of the cloud creatures that live deep within the Obrey atmosphere. Huge, immaterial. That's what I sometimes think. They're speculation, Lannery said. A mystery. No one's ever really seen one. I know, Kara said. I like the idea of that, too. Lannery was not sure whether Kara was a poet or a madwoman. Either way, perhaps she would tell Lannery what she had come to discover. After leaving the pits, Lannery and Tree had traveled to the base of this tower. Tree had announced their presence to the sentry system. An air elevator had whisked them up to the 200th floor. The view as they rose was staggering, and they had both stared silently from the clear elevator pod. As Lannery had felt the silvery light of Calamar's three moons purging the stink of the pits from her skin, she had meditated on the Force, cleansing her mind. She would not forget the smells and sounds, and the deaths she had witnessed, but she no longer carried them with her. Well, it scares the shack out of me, Tree said. He was standing close to one of the inner walls, back pressed to it, hands splayed flat. His leku were wrapped protectively around his throat. Thank you for seeing us, Lannery said. I understand you value your privacy. I do, Kara said. But how could I turn down a request from a Jedi Ranger? Many do lannery said the system is filled with fools Kara glided across the clear crystal floor of her apartment's huge main room and approached a low table that was adorned with all manner of food and drink refreshments water please a droid poured but Kara brought lannery her drink this close the ranger saw just how huge the woman was she was human but her immense size made her appear like a different unique species She rode on a suspension unit that was hidden by her flowing robe. She was bald, as if her head had outgrown her hair. And where her robe parted, Lannery saw rolls of heavy flab and pale skin. There was a perfume to her that was not unpleasant, but beneath that was her own natural stench. Her arms had been artificially lengthened so that they could reach around her girth. Her face was so bloated that her eyes seemed to stare at each other. But however freakish she appeared... Lannery knew that she could not underestimate Kara for one moment. Handing the drink to Lannery, Kara held on for just a moment too long, staring into the ranger's eyes. What? Lannery asked. A Jedi so pure, Kara breathed. Forgive me, it's been years. Those enigmatic words hanging in the air behind her, she floated back to the table and started eating. Lannery took a sip to steady her nerves, looking down at her feet as she swallowed. This large main room of the apartment was cantilevered over the top of the high tower, and its floor was composed of a thin, incredibly clear crystal. It gave the impression of standing on air, and at midnight, the view below was staggering. Lights shifted and moved on the ground below, passing along the network of streets and squares surrounding the immense structure. And closer to the floor's underside, the flashing nav beacons of small cloud cruisers and other craft darted back and forth around the tower. Lannery glanced at Tree. He was still at the edge of the room, trying his best not to look down. But he was also close to the door. She thought perhaps it was not only fear that kept him there, but caution. And for the first time, she was grateful for his presence. ''You'll know why I'm here,'' Lannery said. ''I will?'' ''My reasons already seem more widely known than I'd like.'' ''Ah, yes. I heard about the attempt on your life.'' ''Is that what it was?'' Lannery asked. A Nogre assassin explodes himself close to you? What else could it be? Unwillingness to be caught, Lannery thought, but she did not reply. Yet you have me at a disadvantage. I never leave here. I exist for myself and by myself. I'm sure you have a long reach, Lannery said. She saw Tree breaking a smile behind Kara, but kept her own expression neutral. I make provisions to know what I need to know, Kara said. She laughed softly. I'm very, very rich. My businesses run themselves, but I still feed off information. It's my obsession. And the only true universal currency. Stargazers, Lannery said. She watched for any reaction, but other than a slight pause before replying, Kara gave nothing away. I know of them. Little to do with me. You fund them? I donate. They're a charitable cause. A sect of madmen, Tree said. Only to those who don't understand. You'd seek to leave the system? Lannery asked. You wouldn't? No. Lannery shook her head, confused. A strange question. This is home. Kara stared at her, and for an instant Lannery felt something strange, as if an outside consciousness were scratching at the wall of her mind. Then the feeling was gone. But she tried to grab hold of it, analyze. Analyze.
2: Now let's get back to the show.
1: Have you ever been to Fury's Gate? No, Lannery said. I have, Kara said. Many years ago, before I became like this, I was quite a traveler. It's a minimum of 300 days to reach that small planet, and not many make the journey. There's really no reason to go there. But I felt the need, the urge to push my boundaries. I've always felt that way and I've done so physically as well as mentally. Even my appearance is a product of that urge. I spent 20 days there at Fury Station, and most of the time I simply looked out into the deep core. Out beyond anything anyone in the Typhon system knows. I wanted to see the glimmer of a sleeper ship returning, one of those crafts sent out over the millennia to return to the wider galaxy. I wanted to travel onward myself, but knew that death would likely be the result. But even since turning my back on Fury Station and returning here, I have continued to look outward. Gazing at the stars, Lannery said, and she remembered so much about her young brother, his anger that their ancestors had been brought to Tython, his wishes, his interests. They had never been her own. And yet there had always been that place inside her, the troubling presence of dark and light dancing their own fight. I'm not ashamed of it, Kara said. Many in the system look outward. Most only in their dreams, because day-to-day life doesn't allow otherwise. But me, I'm rich. I can invest. So you give the stargazers money to seek a way to leave. Kara shrugged, and her immense body shivered and shook with waves of flab. You know my brother. Brother? Her confusion seemed genuine. Dalian Brock that shuddering shrug again. Honestly, I've never even met them. I fund several of their small temples around Kalamar, give them somewhere to meet and talk. I pay for their contemplations. She turned away from Lannery, perhaps to lie. They are only one of my interests. Lannery tried to touch Kara's mind, but could not. The woman was a riot of feelings, thoughts, sensations, and if there was sense in that white noise, Lannery could not find it. They're more than just a project to you, Lannery said. I'm a dreamer with money, Kara said. So you fund them out of pure philanthropy? Yes. Kara continued grazing at the table, eating such dainty amounts for a woman so huge. I hear of Gree technology, Lannery said. Again, she watched for a reaction. Again, that strange scratching at her mind. It turned, she reached out, trying to sense who or what might be trying to read her. But there was nothing. Perhaps the feeling really did come from the inside. Maybe such questions were touching hidden desires planted there all those years ago by her younger brother's interests. However much she tried, she could not deny her fascination with what had come before Typhon. Kara glanced at her and then started eating some more. The Gree, Lannery pressed. The woman turned her back on Lannery once more, and settled closer to the table, her hover system gently touching the crystal floor. She sighed heavily, seeming to change shape within her clothes. Her shoulders relaxed. I'm tired. Your audience is over. Speak to the Stargazers if you must. Their nearest temple is in the eastern quarter of the Kar Peninsula, an old abandoned Daibendu temple that I own. Now leave. I haven't finished, Lannery said. Tython, the whole system, might be in terrible danger from what your stargazers are doing. Leave, Kara continued eating. And just for a moment, Lannery recognized something about her. A manner, a presence, a bearing. You're Jedi? Lannery gasped. It seemed amazing, and yet it would explain that strange insistent scratching at her mind. The shadow of Bogan passed across Lannery's mind, and she was even more confused. (laughs) Once, Kara said, laughing bitterly. But no more. The force is stale within me. Now leave, Ranger. I have my security, and they're the best money can buy. And now suddenly she threatens me, Lannery thought. A cough, a thud, and Kara slid over onto her side, rolling from the hover platform and seeming to spill across the floor breath rattled in her throat what have you she's out that's all tree was holding a small weapon in one hand barely the size of a finger stun tube it carried one charge but was effective for several hours or maybe less for someone of this size he raised an eyebrow so now that you've spoken with her do you want to find everything she wasn't telling us you'll bring her guards down on us lannery looked around the large room she could not help partly agreeing with tree's actions And whether she liked it or not, the time for talk was over. Now that it's done, we won't have long. They started searching. Tree was haphazard, pulling open cupboards and throwing aside cushions from the several huge low seats that lay around the place. But Lannery tried to concentrate her efforts. She let the Force flow, and sought where a Jedi might hide her secrets. Was she once really Jedi? she wondered. Or did she merely say that to confuse me? Kara was a player of games. That was for sure, answering some questions and dodging others. She seemed very open about her desires and ambitions. Yet there was still a mystery to her, and something far deeper and more complex than this fat woman confined to her own apartment. Rich she might be, and powerful, and she undoubtedly had a long reach. But Lannery's recognition of something about her, something Jedi, was even more confusing. There were some who trained with the Jedi, but then left Tython. It was usually at the Padawan phase, when children once strong with the Force seemed to lose that strength as they reached adulthood. There was no shame to it, and the Jedi themselves admitted that on occasion they might make mistakes and take into training those who would never be comfortable and at balance with the Force. My brother, for one, Lannery thought. She stared at the slumped figure of Kara, rich benefactor of the Stargazers, and wished she could ask her more. Hurry, Tree said. The sentries might be coming even now. Why would they? Like she said, the best security the money can buy. They'll have sensors for weapon discharges. Oh, great, Lannery said. More conflict was the last thing she wanted here. Her brief time on Calamar had already been more eventful than she had hoped. She looked down past her feet at the ground far below. A chaos of lights swarmed around the base of the tower, but there were three white lights rising quickly up the tower's outer wall. Air elevators. She touched her collar and activated her comm. Ironhogs, I need you to bring the ship. We're on the 200th floor of Gaz Spire, 8 kilometers southeast of the landing tower. Nothing. Did you hear me? Ironhogs answered, a splutter of static and groans. As usual, he sounded like an old man being woken from a comfortable sleep, but she already heard the background whine of the Peacemaker's engines being prepped. What? Tree asked. Company. We'll be leaving soon. His wide-eyed fear could not have been feigned. Leaving how? Let's worry about that when the time comes. Now search. Lannery turned and faced the wide panoramic windows looking out over Rahul Yon Archipelago, trying to relax, remembering her force skills training and relishing the balance she could feel inside. Darkness and light, seeing and seeking. She surveyed the vast room, looking for where something might be hidden. A woman like Kara had plenty to hide and not all of it the currency of secrets she was a rich woman with a grand apartment and material wealth. She would have things to hide too. At the far corner of the room was a wall display of martial objects. Blades, spears, maces, other striking weapons, all of them powered by the bearer alone. It did not surprise Lannery that Kara might be a collector of such antiquities, and they did not interest her. What might be behind the display did. There was no obvious door, but she sensed a hollow beyond the wall and she did not have time to find the hidden opening mechanism. Lannery drew her sword and struck. Sparks flew, and an intense surge of energy webbed across the display of old weapons, lighting them briefly with the force. She struck again, and a wall panel gave way. Several crossbows clattered to the floor. Lannery shouldered her way through the opening into the narrow space behind the wall. Those elevators are pretty close, Tree called. Lock the doors, barricade them, give us as much time as you can. Her voice sounded muffled in the small, unlit room, as if swallowed by something soft. Lannery took a small glow rod from her belt and flicked it on. The light flooded the room, and seeing what was in there gave context to the curious, musty smell. Books. Perhaps a dozen of them, each sitting on a plinth in a separate display case. It had been a long time since she'd even seen a book. Her parents had one, an old instruction tome written by the great Jedi Master Shalmar more than three millennia ago, and they showed it to her whenever she asked. She loved the printing, the care and attention that went into the production processes, but these... She opened the first case, caught a whiff of must and age, and as she opened the book, she realized that it was unique. Not printed, not mass-produced. This was handwritten. Tree's voice called, muffled by the wall between them. They're outside! Lannery knew they did not have very long. Ironhogs, how far away are you? Her George replied the Peacemaker was moments away. Good. Drop low, wait until you see me, then come in close. A quizzical buzz from the comm. Don't worry, you won't be able to miss us. Opening the rest of the display cases, she winced at the damage she might be doing to these books. But time was not on her side. Flipping pages, her heart settling yet her mind moving faster than ever, at last she found what she was looking for. She slipped the thin book into her jacket and left the room. Quickly, Tree whispered. He was in the center of the large room, standing on one of the low seating areas so that he did not have to look down. Lannery thought he was actually shaking with fear, his leku touching nervously beneath his chin. Kara groaned, her bulk shifting in a sickly, fluid movement. The comm link on the table beside her was glowing softly, call unanswered. Her security would already know that something was very wrong. Lannery dashed across to the wide, tall windows and beckoned Trisana after her. There? He asked. You think we can leave any other way? Something crashed against the wide doors, three heavy impacts. A low table that Tree had upended against the door tilted and fell, smacking against the crystal floor. Lannery squinted through the window at the sea of lights below and around them and then she saw the shape she wanted. She breathed a sigh of relief. Battle droids, Tree said, arriving by her side. All the rich hire them, private security, get them chipped and reprogrammed, more heavily armed. Some of them fought in the desperate war. I've even heard that some retain memories of their battles with the Jedi. Don't like them, hate them, and some even dream of- You're babbling, Lannery said, and droids don't dream. I told you I don't like heights. More impacts from beyond the room, and then a louder, deeper thud vibrated through the floor and the doors burst open in a blast of smoke, flame, and torn metal. Lannery drew her sword again and faced the door. Three droids entered, short, thin units designed for speed and offering narrow targets for any aggressor to hit. Their fist-sized heads twirled as they scanned the room. Lannery pressed her hand to Tree's chest to still him, and she felt his heart hammering against her palm. And then, without warning, the droids opened fire. Lannery swept her sword left and right, catching and deflecting blasts from their weapons. Tree shrank down behind her. She concentrated, her stance perfectly balanced, and with her free hand, she force-punched a droid back against the wall. It struck, fell, and then quickly rose again. It was scarred with several old blast injuries. Battle-hardened. Get ready, Lannery shouted. For what? You'll know when it happens. She angled the sword and deflected several blasts back against the window. Crystal shattered, and a large slab of the window burst outward with a heavy crump. Wind whistled into the room, sweeping food-laden plates from the table, and Lannery saw Kara's eyes flicker open. Sword still shifting before her, Lannery clawed her left hand, lifting one droid and flinging it at another. A blast caught it, and it blew apart. A brief shriek of tortured metal, followed by a hail of white, hot, components ricocheting around the room. Lenory knew she didn't have much time. She could force jump across the room and take on the two remaining battle droids, but right then, destroying them was not the priority. The priority was escape. She turned, grabbed Tree around the waist, and leaped from the shattered window. The wind stole her breath. It grabbed them and spun them around as they spiraled down from Kara's overhanging apartment, drawing them in close to the tower so that windows flitted by in a blur. It roared in her ears. Lannery squinted, ignoring trees' scream of terror as they plummeted, struggling to hold him. Laser blasts flashed by them, and there was nothing she could do. No way she could gather her thoughts to protect them from the sustained fire coming from the shattered window above. She only hoped... The Peacemaker drifted from the shadow of the tower and dipped below them, dropping, engines roaring, matching their speed so that the impact as they struck its upper surface was as gentle as possible. Lannery grunted and clasped tree as they hit, flailing with her other hand that still held the sword. Given a choice of which to drop, she knew the weapon would win out, but she hoped she did not have to make that choice. Laser blasts ricocheted from the ship's curved hull, but Ironhold's remote piloted the ship perfectly a gentle circle around the tower so that the droids could no longer hit them with fire from above. Then the craft hovered to give them the chance to get inside. Peacemaker's top hatch whispered open. After you, Lannery said. Tree scrambled across the ship's smooth back and tipped inside head first. Lannery dropped in beside Tree, landing softly on her feet, and the hatch closed above her. At home once more, she hardly even swayed as the ship powered away from her whole yawn and out across the dark sea. Are you mad? Tree shouted. Insane? What if your ship hadn't been there? What if... She raised one hand, silencing him, and took a deep, calming breath. A simple thank you would be fine.
0: There's some things that I want to discuss real quick. So
1: as they talk to
0: Kiara, they reveal that she has been to the furthest point in the system. And it took 300 days to get there, confirming that they don't have life speed. This is why Dalen is so infatuated with the stars and he seeks what lies beyond the system that they live in. We find out that they're looking to open a hypergate. He really wants to open up this hypergate and journey into other systems. The problem and the reason that the Jedi want to stop him is the use of dark matter to do it. I did a little bit of research on dark matter, and this is not some good stuff. Very unstable. It is made from the, a black hole. The Jedi believe if he uses the dark matter, it will start a whole new black hole and swallow up their
1: whole system. So they have to stop him. So let's get back to the story to find out. With the Peacemaker's computers patched into Calamar's navsats and the ship flying across the ocean toward the Car Peninsula, Lannery wanted to use the time to take stock. At first, Trisana tried to talk, but she held up a finger in warning and nodded at her cot. Sit. Still. Quiet. You're on my ship now. It was easy getting you on board, it'd be even easier for me to fling you off. You call that easy? He spat. The cot! And silence tree sat, his leku so pale they were almost pink. He was all front, but Lannery could see his relief at having a chance to rest. She turned the cockpit seat toward the front and sat back for a moment, staring at the sea flashing by below. Moonlight caught the waves. Ship's lanterns speckled the surface, and here and there, the navigation lights of airborne craft moved across the night. It was clear, and a swath of stars smeared the sky. Her ancestors had come from somewhere out there, and now her brother was preparing to risk everything to travel there once again. Her brother and others. Lannery was aware of the dreadful danger Dale's efforts might be putting Tython and the wider system in, and it chilled her to even imagine him getting close to his aims. But at moments like this, looking up at the stars, she could not hold back her interest, her fascination. In many ways, she was as curious as anyone about their origins, but she went about feeding that curiosity in different ways. Kara had appeared quite open about her affiliation with the Stargazers. Her Jedi past was a mystery, especially as she now exuded dislike for their society and beliefs. If the information she'd imparted was correct, she had willingly sent them to a Stargazer temple and perhaps one step closer to Deo. Yet she had also been hiding secrets. Lannery had brought one of them with her. Quietly she took the book from her jacket and placed it on the control panel before her. She sensed no movement from Tree. If he so much as stood from the cot in the living area behind her, she would be aware, and she did not need any Jedi senses to know this. The Peacemaker ship was as much her home as the one with her parents had ever been, and she knew every waft of air, every creak of loose paneling, and every shadow cast by the ceiling lights or control panel indicators. She was safer here than anywhere. The book was leather-bound, its cover worn around the edges, and blank. It was thin, perhaps fifty pages. Age emanated from it, a combination of its hand-worn appearance, the faint smell of dust, and the mere fact that it was a book of paper, card, and ink. There were those who still produced books, but only as novelty or special items. This was the real thing. How many have touched this, she wondered. How many have stared at it as I am now, readying themselves to see inside? Haunted by history, the scent of lost times, the feel of ages. It represented something that no flat screen or hollow display ever could. She opened the cover and looked at the first page. The little that was printed there was in a strange symbology she only faintly recognized. She ran her fingertips across the page and felt grittiness beneath them. The dust of ages. Stroking a pad on the arm of her seat, she listened for Tree as a small globe rose from the Peacemaker's control panel. He was silent and still. Lannery picked up the globe and twisted it to aim at the book. It floated beside her right cheek, and when she touched the pad again, it flickered on and started to hum softly. A faint blue light splashed on the book, and beneath it the symbols started to shiver. It took longer than she had expected. The print seemed to flow and shift, though only within the globe's blue light. And at last, the shimmering settled into words she could read. The Gree, and everything I had found of them in the Old City. The name below was Osamael Orr. And that name rang in Lannery's memory. Frowning, she leaned back in her seat and closed her eyes to concentrate. Who was it? Where did she know that name from? She looked again out at the stars, so far away from everything she knew and loved, and the concept of exploration came to her. What was she, if not an explorer? A ranger of the Jedi, a traveler of this system that still contained countless unknowns, even though it had been inhabited for 10,000 years. There was so much more to know. Mysteries, confusions, ambiguities. There were... There are depths, she whispered. These, too, were the words of Osamael Orr, and she remembered where she had heard them before. A bedtime story from her father, told so long ago and never remembered again until now. Even after everything that had happened with her and Dale, the Jedi temples, the search, and what she had found of him. Even then, she had not thought of that time almost twenty years before, when her father sat in the chair beside her bed, Long hair loosened to flow across his shoulders, hands folded on his chest as he relayed the cautionary tale of Osamael Orr and his final, greatest adventure, in the depths of the Old City, where he insisted there were secrets still to be found. So he embarked on his next expedition alone, because by then no one wanted to go with him anymore. They said he was mad. They said there were more important things to do across Typhon, and that the surroundings were too dangerous this was 9,000 years ago, you have to remember. Back at a time when dreadful force storms still ravaged the planet, and the Jedi were sometimes swept along with them, instead of taking power and balance from them. There were many, like Osamael Orr back then. Frontiersmen, they called themselves, but for Osamael Orr, the greatest frontiers did not necessarily exist at the greatest distances. So he went down into the old city on Tulsa alone, and he was never seen again. They searched for him. His family felt a sense of responsibility, though they thought him mad as everyone else. So they looked, but nothing was ever found, and no one was willing to go deep. There are depths, Osamael had told his sister the night before he went, and she repeated his final words whenever anyone asked her about her brother, because she was the one member of the family who insisted he was still alive. He's still exploring down there, in those depths, she'd say. He's going deeper and finding more, and one day he'll emerge with news that will astound us all but he never did come back. And that's why the old city is such a dangerous place, my sweet Lannery. Because there are depths. Osamael Orr's diary, Lannery whispered, awed. For her to be holding this now, 9,000 years later, he must have come back. A chill went through her, as if someone from a great distance touched the deepest part of her and knew her. She turned the page and started reading.
0: Wow, now that was some information. First, we confirmed that they don't have life speed, and they don't know where they came from, or how they even got to this system. But they keep talking about the Gree. So I did a little bit of research about the, who the Gree were, and this is what I found out. The Gree were a six-tentacle race of cephalopod creatures that had an unusual anatomy with gray skin, large, sad-looking eyes with a long, tall forehead. These features supported an immense brain sack, which just flopped oddly behind their head. There were no visible mouthpieces, so they didn't have a mouth on their face. But the thought was the multiple flesh things underneath their eyes served as oral communication. The evolution of their homeworld meant that they were comfortable in type 2 atmospheres, with type 1 being unpleasant to them. As such, when they traveled through such environment, they wore these like spongy communication devices that covered their communication folds. Typically, the Gree rarely ever grew more than a meter and a half in height, and they lived around 100,000 BBY. I will leave a link in the show notes if you want to learn a little bit more about the Gree. What else did we find out in this chapter? Oh, the whole dark matter thing. I don't think this is some good stuff, man. I I just don't think it's really good. But if they were to call it light matter, we might have a whole different opinion of it. All in all, I think that Tim is taking us on a wonderful journey, and I can't wait to hear what's going to happen in chapter six.
2: Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the force be with you. Sway so was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel, sound design by Theodore Thompson, research by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.